Welcome to the Faith Forward podcast series. Faith Forward is a grassroots network dedicated to bringing together leaders of ministry with children, youth, and families for collaboration, resourcing, and inspiration toward innovative theology and practice. Through this series, we'll learn from creative, forward-thinking leaders who are pushing the boundaries and reimagining what it means to follow Jesus' way of love and justice today. Join us as we instigate a revolution of hope in our world. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Forward podcast. I am thrilled because my guest today is Deneen Akers. Deneen is an accomplished filmmaker and a teacher, a mother, and an author. And she recently wrote a new children's book called Holy Troublemakers and Unconventional Saints. And the title says it all. Deneen, thanks for being with us today. Oh, thanks so much for having me. I've been looking forward to this. I'd love to just start by having you share about the backstory behind the book. I, I love the book, but I want to know where the idea came from. Absolutely. Well, funnily enough, I think my journey with this book began several years ago, and it included one of the Faith Forward conferences. Hmm. I went to um, one of the ones in Nashville, and I think it was probably 2014-ish. Yeah, that's it. That's when we were in Nashville. Mm-hmm. And I had a five-year-old daughter and was very much in the space of having done a massive faith shift and de- deconstruction and trying to put things together. And Faith Forward, um, I don't even remember where I heard about it, but it just sounded like these sound like people who might have some resources. Um, I had been desperate looking for a new church for our family and just trying to figure things out. And my daughter was an avid uh, you know, she wasn't reading yet, but she loved books and stories. And Mm -hmm. I was realizing that most of the things that I had grown up reading that had anything to do with faith, as I started to read them to her and hear them through like a different lens, I realized I wasn't comfortable sharing that perspective with her, that type of, um, that type of God, that, that type of um, worldview. And she really noticed that a lot of those books made her feel icky and Mm. she didn't have the words for it but i realized that she really wasn't used to hearing a substitutionary atonement drenched theology right and almost every book that we had been given or that i still had from my childhood was just full of that foundational perspective and so i started removing books (laughs) from our library but there, there wasn't very much to add back um there are of course you know, wonderful um, children's literature out there that have nothing specifically to do with faith-based, but often bring up those topics. But, mm-hmm. but I wanted a few things that were, you know, specifically about people who were using faith in a good way. And um, there's some great board books, like the picture book stage. There's like Rabbi Sandy Sasso's books yeah, were a, like beautiful. And Matthew Paul Turner has a bunch of beautiful children's books. Jennifer Grant has a few. There's a there's a few out there, but they're all picture book stage right. books. And then, especially as she got to be a little bit older, I just kept thinking somebody has got to do a book that's for slightly older children that still has a very 
you know, loving divine. Um, and there's nothing wrong with your heart <laughs> mm-hmm. at the core. And, um, and at that point I really, um, I still do, but I very care about like LGBT representation and not having like a really whitewashed view of things. And w- when you start to apply those lenses, like the available books out there, there just weren't very many. And, um, so I finally decided that I was going to, going to write one myself and I have long loved Bayard Rustin's concept of every community needing angelic troublemakers. It's actually just one of those days where I happened to be by myself, which at that point I had a second daughter too. So that didn't happen a lot. (laughs) And uh, she was, I think 18 months or two at the time, very young. And, and I had been off of social media for about a month at the request of my daughter, older daughter who Mm -hmm. really just wanted a Christmas holiday with, you know, mom fully present. And I had gone for a walk by myself. We were living in Southern California at the time and I was on the beach. It was very early morning. And like the idea just sort of came to me like holy troublemakers and unconventional saints and like the stories of people who were living out their faith in ways that I would want my children to grow up Mm -hmm. being inspired by. And at that time, there was another book that had come out called Goodnight Stories for Rebel Girls. And I loved the artwork. It was a beautiful book. And uh, that was kind of an inspiration for it. I wanted that style of really gorgeous art with um, accessible profiles and just sort of done in a really beautiful way. So it's a children's book that I also want parents and adults to think of as a bit of a coffee table art book. Yeah. Um, so they'll keep it out. <laughs> yeah, keep yeah. It around. <laughs> so it doesn't end up on the shelf. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it's filled with profiles and stories of exactly what the title says, holy troublemakers and, and unconventional saints, right? People who are making a difference from a, from a faith-based perspective. And each story or profile is paired with just this gorgeous picture on the other page. Um, how many exactly are there in the book? Yes. So there are... Th- 36, they often start in the, um, the subject's youth. They start at some time around the age when um, the reader would be. So this is aimed yeah. at middle, gra- middle grade, which is like third grade, third grade and up. I mean, yeah. I definitely think actually high, high schoolers um, could like this too. But um, I, w- I would say depending on the age of a third grader, around eight or nine and up. And so I often try to start with a younger perspective on the person and, and draw the draw the reader in and that just took a little bit more time so it doesn't read exactly like a these aren't like mini wikipedia entries they're trying to be a little more a little more engaging and hopefully more memorable than that um so there's 36 in this one and um it's 27 i think artists who contributed portraits i really wanted that diverse um type of artistic style represented I really do love the artwork and the artists who work on this, I try to as much as possible match the artist with the subject. So for example, all of the people who are featured in the book who are indigenous have been illustrated by an indigenous artist and mm, wow. little, little things like that. Try to yeah. sort of have that, have that match up and I'm really pleased with how it worked out. And some of the artists, um, in fact, in particular, I can think of one who he said, um, you know, I'm an atheist, but if there's going to be religion in the world, like this is the type of religion it should be. And, right. Uh, the tremendous amount of intentionality that, that you put into every part of this book just shines through. Um, and like, like you said, like the, the, this is a really more of a keepsake book 
it's not something that you just throw on a shelf and pull out once in a while. The, the, the quality of everything is just uh, exceptional. I, I'm also, I'm curious that you said in this one, there are 36. So are you alluding to that? There might be a follow-up. Yes, I definitely want there to be a second volume and I have some of the artwork already done for that. Actually, one of my favorite portraits it's sitting up in my living room right now is of Sojourner Truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I decided to have her be the centerpiece of the next volume. Um, she's painted by the same person who did Harriet Tubman in this volume. Okay. Um, but yes, there has to be another volume just to have uh, Sojourner <laughs> right. there. In the very back of this volume, I did a little preview of a few of the ones that I have done, like the artwork already uh-huh. that's done for the, for the next volume. But um, I think it's probably not coincidence that I started this shortly after the 2016 election. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's been incredibly life-giving to be seeing the world right now through the lens of these particular people. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they're from different eras, they're from different religions, but they, they all found a way to use their faith to work for the common good. Mm-hmm. And that often meant bucking the religious tradition that they were in because they were usually more radical, more, more loving, more let's accept everybody, let's work for the rights of everyone than their religious institutions often were comfortable with. And especially seeing what's going on right now, it's, it's been really, it, it, I don't know how I would have survived the last two years without seeing the world through these stories because yeah, yeah. I, I needed some hope <laughs> right. and encouragement. And, and uh, our, our mutual friend, Melvin Bray, who's been central to, to Faith Forward, I, I actually yes. have a feeling he's the one who connected us uh, so many years ago. I bet you're um, right. Uh, you know, he, uh, among other people, uh, have done great work in the formative power of stories, right? And the stories yes. we tell become the people we are. And yes. So, but one thing we haven't talked about is some of, the, some of the folks that are in the book. So can you give us a snapshot of a few of the, of the, the, the people profiled and, and sure. how, how you chose who you chose to be in this, this, first, um, the, this first volume of 36? Yes, absolutely. Because the list goes, it's actually a good problem to have. Absolutely. That there's that many, there's so many people who have been, um, I, I, these, weren't, these weren't the types of people of faith that I grew up hearing about, um, mm-hmm. but there really are quite a few of them. My lens was um, people for whom faith mattered, who worked for love and justice in their corner of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's other people, obviously, who are doing incredible things. Um, good work in the world but it wasn't obvious that that faith was any kind of motivator for them and of course i applaud that but i was particularly looking for this particular lens because i didn't i hadn't seen these stories really highlighted anywhere else so there's some people that um you would definitely have heard of um francis of assisi uh harriet tubman florence nightingale mr rogers um for example, Mr. Rogers, Florence Nightingale, and Harriet Tubman, everybody knows about, but they don't necessarily, they've, they haven't seen how faith motivated what they were doing in the world. Right, right. So that's kind of the lens I tried to bring, bring into it. Um, and then other people, nobody has generally heard about, but they really should, and especially like Bayard Rustin falls in that category. He was a civil rights strategist. He's the one who organized the March on Washington, where Mm -hmm. Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. gave his I Have a Dream speech. 
he's the one who fully convinced Dr. Martin Luther King to embrace nonviolence as a full ideology. He had studied Gandhi's methods very closely, and he was a lifelong Quaker, very committed to pacifism. He'd, in fact, gone to federal prison uh, for refusing to register for the draft in World War II. It yeah. uh, was, of course, organizing in prison against uh, the racial segregation that was a part of every aspect of life there. But we we frequently don't hear about his incredible organizing work on behalf of civil rights because he was also a gay man and that made him stay in the background. There's other people in the movement who are deeply uncomfortable with that. And he often isn't known in the way that he should be. So his story is really, I, I really consider him like the patron saint of this project. Um, mm. He's the one who said, we need in every community, a group of angelic troublemakers. And his idea was that you're, angelic troublemakers are simply they're, they're trying to make the status quo not work when it's hurting vulnerable people <laughs> and um, all within nonviolent resistance methods which I really do think we need to know more about there's a lot of people in this book who um, are committed to nonviolence and you learn rather a fair bit about nonviolent organizing methods through them an additional project to this that I thought about is some sort of um, some sort of game that would mm. use this artwork because it's beautiful to teach the to teach the principles of nonviolent um, resistance and organizing because as much as I love you know Star Wars and even Harry Potter and other stories like that there is actually a lot of messaging that ultimately violence is what you're going to have to resort to yeah, and yeah. I would I would love to have some models and learning about how you actually you, know, you think about Gandhi overthrew an entire empire mm -hmm. based on nonviolent methods, and it would be nice if we could learn a little bit more about that. So the book was launched in 2019, or was released in 2019. Yes, so in December. Yes, so it was, it was a little over a month ago that it was done. The additional copies that we were able to order sold out within six days. Wow. <laughs> Which kind of surprised us. Uh, it was a good... It was a good problem to have a week before Christmas shipping deadlines, yeah. <laughs> but it was also a problem. Absolutely. So but we, there, are more, there are more on their way, right? There, there are more coming. Um, so the books should all be back in stock by early March at the latest. Okay. So we're, we're looking forward to that. And one of the things we want to start adding on is for people who can't afford this as a resource, but really want it, we want to make them available for free. Um, fantastic. And, and then if other people want to chip in here and there to help with that program, we want to do that. Some people want this book for their family or for their classroom. Yeah. And I do not want price to be a barrier for that because I know there's just not very many resources out there like this. There's also a curriculum that um, I'm working on um, okay. that, was, that was part of the Kickstarter package, actually. <laughs> wow, that's now, such, those, those kind of curricula are just so needed right now. Well, um, I bet actually your community could help me vet it at some point. Um, <laughs> I, I, would, I, would, I would be happy to have that input. So I am Absolutely. getting people saying, saying, hey, so that curriculum, we're looking forward to it. And I was like, yes, me too. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, so so the, the, the book has been out for, um, for a month and a half or so. I've been enjoying following the responses on, on social media and I, I keep seeing photos of it popping up all over the place. How have you noticed people using the book and what's been surprising about, uh, about the, the reception? 
Well, it's so nerve-wracking to put something out into the world that has lived in your head for a while. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been really, really lovely to see people respond very positively. I put so much love into this book and they're just a great, like the people, all the modern day people in the book reviewed their profiles and gave me any, any feedback. And they've been, you know, very generous with their time and story and advice. And that's been really beautiful. The, the editors, the layout people, quite a few um, people gave input based on areas of like their areas of expertise, as far as like, disability advocacy or indigenous rights advocacy or things where I had readers go through and try to make sure I wasn't overlooking something. And those were really helpful processes. And I'm, I'm grateful for the time that we took to make sure that it was, you know, as, as quality a product as I'd always imagined. And so people's responses have been overwhelmingly positive. And I think part of it is it's, it's simply beautiful. Like I've been a writer, I'm a former English teacher. So I've long been very fond of words and story and my husband's been a filmmaker and we've done some projects together, but this book has reinforced for me how central beautiful visual art is for storytelling and how it really helps um, a message get across. I uh, have almost no fine art skills myself, so I'm in awe. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> and there's a bunch of different styles I'm flipping through, and like Reverend Jackie Lewis, which is my youngest mm-hmm. daughter's favorite portrait. Uh, it's the, the joy and vibrancy just jumps off the page. Um, mm-hmm. That's a digital work of art. And then uh, right next door is Jennifer Knapp, which is oh, actually Sharpie on cardboard. <laughs> and then uh, Caitlin Curtis which a fun little tidbit is the illustrator, Chief Lady Bird, the indigenous woman who did her artwork, also just did the cover for her new book that's coming out. Oh, in, uh, wow. This spring, yep. Um, oh, Kate Christensen Martin, I'm literally looking at her, it's a stunning, it's um, a mixture of charcoal drawing and collage. Mm-hmm. And it's just a stunning work of art. Her message is one that I know more people are going to hear about in a little bit of time when she gets the capacity she's raising for four kiddos. And when she gets the capacity to write and speak more, um, I think we're all going to hear more from her. Her first time I heard her preach about Jesus being a man who mothered the world. Mm. I about melted in my seat, (laughs) quivering. Uh, She means mothering in a very gender full way. Mm-hmm. She's not specifying, um, it's this nurturing idea and it's an incredible concept. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, and we need those, of- you know, we need those ideas, those, those, yeah. we need those concepts and those conceptions to just, um, penetrate where, where the, we are as a church right now. Yeah. Because we have still, we still have these incredibly loud voices giving us these, mm-hmm. these, um, images and, and theological um, ideas that are just not, they're just not working anymore if they ever really worked. Right. Yeah. Well, they didn't work for all of us. That's for sure. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and flipping and, through, oh, so I just say Mary yeah. Mulcara is right in the middle. And that's one of the first illustrations that I commissioned. And she was a brilliant um, transgender rights advocate. She's Muslim. She lived in Iran. And she literally walked into Ayatollah Khomeini's office one day to ask for the legal 
and religious Mm -hmm. permission to live openly as a transgender woman. She got beat up by his guards first, but she did walk out with a letter that not only gave her that permission, but every other transgender Iranian. And today Iran has the most progressive trans rights of any Middle Eastern country because of her work. And those are people that like, I know people are going to love learning about and um, would, you know, we just don't come across those types of faith heroes. And, and I'm a firm believer in Melvin's idea that like, you know, but it's, it's kind of the by beholding we become changed. And what we behold is the stories that we input. And so I'm, I kind of, I'm really trusting this with my own kids, that if I just surround them with the type of books and stories that I believe in, that I think on a deep level, it does its like story does its work. Yeah. We don't have to be the ones doing all the interpreting and telling right. them what the story means. We just need to give them the stories and trust that they're going to do what, yes. what they need with those stories. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. With, with that concept in mind, that idea of, of people doing what they need with it, um, what kind of uh, feedback have you, have you received from families, from teachers, from um, clergy about how they have used this book? Yeah, so I'm just starting to get get some of this in. I mean, it's, right at it's the still beginning, really, really, yeah. yeah, right at the beginning, people were doing lots of uh, posts and uh, sending me little pictures from. Like, there was a lot of there was a lot of holy troublemaking under Christmas trees this uh, <laughs> this December. I think um, one family said that um, they read. Uh, I think it was the St. Francis. Yes, because the end of the St. Francis profile, I actually talk about Christmas because St. Francis essentially invented the nativity scene crush that we think of now. And he did that intentionally to remind people that Jesus had come in the form of a very poor child, a very marginalized child. And he wanted to remind um, people of that. And so they said their children, after reading that, it was Christmas Eve, they decided to last minute go do some Christmas shopping for a family that they knew had very little and anonymously drop off Christmas presents that mm-hmm. night on their door. Mm-hmm. Um, other uh, Somebody just told me that they were reading Mr. Rogers profile uh, yesterday in a chapel, actually at, col- at a college mm-hmm. um, to remember that like gentle peacemaking is, is part of this too. It's, it's not all, rabble rousing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Um, a lot of people responded to Rachel Held Evans' profile, which mm-hmm. um, is not a surprise given the huge shock of her death um, in the absolutely. last year. Yeah. Um, it was really hard to finish that profile and change some verbs to past tense and things like that. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. There's a, there's a lot of unfair loss, but that one hit extra close to home. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lots of people, I think, I keep getting notes from people back about how much they're learning from the book, which I love because I learned a ton, right? (laughs) But um, like I'm looking at like Reverend Will Gaffney's profile here, uh, portrait and profile. And I just love the idea that families and kids and pastors um, will be reading about womanism through through her uh, story and things, things like that. And um, oh, I know another one um, that gets actually mentioned several times is so Erwin Keller, who is a rabbi up in the Bay Area, who is just a completely lovely man, and he did a lot of work around um, AIDS activism um, in the 80s. Um, and he also has 
perform for 21 years as a drag queen and a right. drag acapella quartet. And so I've had three places write me and say that they do drag queen story time and have been reading that profile. Wow. For it. I'm like, that is amazing. I love it. Yeah. Well, it's, it's one of those things that the, the book is filled with stories and people who, and, and, you know, movements behind all these people that often if people hear about it's why didn't I know about this sooner? Yeah. And now people are going to know about it sooner. There, I, there's so much more that we could talk about because these are, you know, 36 people who are worth knowing about and one fantastic person who brought them all together in one book. So thank you so much for, for being here and uh, for, for talking you. about just the power, not the power of the book alone, but the power of all the intentional work that, that, is behind it and is, is moving forward into other projects. So thank you so much. Thank you. Really appreciate it. You can learn more about Holy Troublemakers and Unconventional Saints at holytroublemakers.com. Thanks for tuning in to the Faith Forward podcast series. If you want to learn more from creative thinkers and innovative leaders, be sure to subscribe or visit faith-forward.net. Yeah.